For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, I want you to think for a moment about great relationships that you have ever had. Some of the best friendships or uh, just maybe it was from childhood, a friend that you had in the neighborhood, maybe it's somebody you went to school with, maybe uh, it's your marriage right now. Maybe it's uh, watching somebody else's relationship, but I want you to think, what do those relationships have in common? Like what makes a great relationship? And I want you to take a moment, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them what you think makes a great relationship. Like one thing, if you could boil it down to one thing, if you're with us online, we'd love for you to just leave it in the comments. You can tell the person you're sitting with at home. But what's the one thing that makes a great relationship? So just take a minute and tell the person next to you. Now, if you're married, I hope I didn't cause an argument if you said the wrong thing. I was going to say to, you know, to start off, you know, what makes a bad relationship, but maybe you turn to the person next to you and be like, what you did on the way here today is what makes a bad relationship. You know, what's interesting, though, is that deep down, all of us long for great relationships. We long for great friendships. But sometimes what happened in our relational past actually keeps us from great relationships. I remember 16 years ago, um, I was a student pastor in Wisconsin, and I experienced an unbelievably painful betrayal with another staff pastor. And I remember when we left Wisconsin and we moved to Arizona to Plant Revolution Church, um, I, I didn't trust anybody at that point. I had been betrayed, and I, I walked into that situation of planting a church thinking, I can't count on the people I work with. I didn't want to let people get close to me because the last time I let somebody that I work with get close to me, I, I got hurt. I, I got stabbed in the back. And I remember a few years into Revolution Church, uh, the guy that um, I planted with, Paul, um, it, we were sitting there one day at a meeting, and he said, Josh, you know, can I share something with you? Can I give you some feedback? Now, this is a, a really risky thing to do in any kind of relationship. Because at this moment, I have no idea what Paul's going to say. You know, I've been working with Paul at this point for a few years. We've been building trust. And he, and he said, you know, Josh, he said, you keep everybody at arm's length. He said, no one gets past kind of the exterior of you. And he said, why is that? And I said, well, it's simple. I said, you know, a few years ago, I, I said, I, I trusted people that I worked with. I opened up to them. I shared with them some dreams, and I shared with them some things that I longed to do. And I said, and I got betrayed in that. And I said, I was hurt. I, I said, my family was hurt. And it was really, really incredibly difficult for me to open up about this to him. And, and to, to admit that I was still just hurt and sad and, and, and to admit that I still struggled to forgive the people who had betrayed me. And then Paul looked at me and, and he just said, Josh, he said, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened. 
But he said, I, I didn't do that. He said, I wasn't there when that happened. He said, I wasn't the person who stabbed you in the back. And he said, and none of the other people who are a part of our church today are the people that stabbed you in the back, but yet you are making me and the rest of us pay for what someone else did. See, and, and the hard truth about relationships is that all of us at some point will be scarred in relationships. All of us at some point will have somebody stab us in the back. All of us at some point will have somebody let us down. All of us at some point will have somebody make a promise that they don't keep. And what happens then is that we actually close ourselves off to great relationships in that moment. We decide, even if it's not intentionally, we decide, well, I won't let that happen again. I won't let somebody get close to me again. I won't let somebody do that again. I won't let somebody say that again. I won't let somebody, I will not give them the opportunity for that to happen. And so we keep people at arm's length. And I remember as I continued processing this, and I was talking with a guy named Jim who eventually became a counselor of mine, and he shared an incredibly important quote to me. He said, Josh, we are born in relationship. We are wounded in relationship. And we can be healed in relationship. Now, here's the thing about this quote. I remember the first time that Jim told me this quote. The first two parts of this, we all agree with. We all agree that we are born in relationship. We all agree that we have a family, and that's where a lot of our relational scars reside, but we are born in relationship. And the reason we know that as Christians is that Genesis tells us we were made and created in the image of God, that God is a relational God who wants to have a relationship with us, who pursues us, who comes after us. So we are made for relationships. And all of us have been wounded in relationships. All of us have been wounded from the time that we were, we were little uh, up until just yesterday, we've been wounded in relationships. We've wounded people in relationships. But it's the second part, that, it's the last part, the being healed in relationships that's hard for us. But the reality is, is that the way for us to move forward to great relationships is to find healing in the hardest relationships in the most painful relationships. Now, here's what happens when we deal with relational pain. We all have scars. We all have wounds, and some of them are incredibly deep. Some of them involve mistrust. Some of them involve abuse that, that for many of us, we are still walking with and trying to unpack and trying to figure out how to move forward. But we cope in different ways. We cope. Some of us will say things just like Chris talked about last week with pain and suffering. Some of us will just say, well, you know, that's just, that's just life. Life is just painful. Like, just get over it. Like, real men don't cry about it. Like, just, just deal with it. You know, or we'll, we'll kind of explain it away and say things like, well, it's not as bad as somebody else's. Have you ever done that where we just say, well, you know, it could be worse? Do you know what that does? That actually, that's one of the ways that we try to protect ourselves from actually dealing with things. We we'll minimize it. Like, we'll just say, well, you know, it's, just, it's, not, it's not really a big deal except for the fact that you just keep coming back to it, but it's not really a big deal. Right, some of us will, will deal with our relational scars uh, by numbing it, by working a lot, by filling our, our, our social calendars and being busy as possible, and uh, some of us will, will deal with our relational scars by being incredibly needy and codependent in relationships. 
well, that person needs me, so I need to be there. I need to do whatever they want. I need to, you know, just take care of them. And, like, obviously I can save them and I can do all of these things for them. And, but then others of us, we cope by doing what I did and just keeping people at arm's length. And just saying, you know, we don't need to get close. We don't need to get close. And sometimes we stop loving those around us and we stop letting other people love us. See, what's interesting is we're going through the book of Philippians right now, and as we're looking at this idea of being a hope dealer, one of the greatest places that we need hope in our lives is in relationships. And one of the greatest places for us to deal hope is through relationships. See, what's interesting, when you look at the book of Philippians, most people, when they read through Philippians, focus on the fact that it is Paul's letter about joy. And it is, there's so much about joy, but yet here's Paul writing in a prison cell, in a place that is not filled with joy. And, and what's interesting is that in this moment, in the first century, Paul would have been all by himself. He wouldn't have had his friends around him. He, he was relying on his friends to take care of him, relying on his friends to meet his needs. And yet he writes again and again and again in re about relationships. And the reason that I think is because when it comes to hope and joy, our relationships matter a great deal about the amount of hope and joy that we have and the amount of hope and joy that we give to the world around us. Now, here's the context of this before we get to Philippians 2. If you were here last week, uh, you know that Chris walked through the end uh, of Philippians chapter 1, and he talked about suffering. Now, at some point, we will all suffer in relationships. We'll all suffer in relationships. And in that context, as Paul is talking about handling suffering, he says these words in Philippians 2, verse 1. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so Paul begins to show us how we move forward into the painful places of relationships. He says, if then, which is another way of just, when the Bible says that, it's another way of saying since. And so he's saying, since there is encouragement in Christ, since then, how, how do you experience encouragement? Encouragement is something that gives us confidence, right? Encouragement is something that gives us hope. Encouragement is, pushes us forward. And he says, if there is encouragement in Christ, if any consolation in love, I want you to think about it like this. So if you ever played sports as a kid, did you ever notice how there was always a voice that rises above the other voices? Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice that there's a voice that you listen to? Even, even now as an adult, even now as, if you're a student, there is a voice that matters more than the other voices. There is a person's opinion that matters more. And so what Paul is saying, if there is any encouragement of Christ, then you are, if you are close enough that you are listening to the voice of Christ, if there is any encouragement, he pushes you forward. That Jesus' voice rises above the other voices. He says, make my joy complete. By doing what? He tells us, by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, make my joy complete. And so when you think about great relationships, there are three things that I think go into a great relationship and three things that I think move us away from the relational scars we have. 
And the first one is what Paul talked about in verse two, and that's the word harmony. He says, having the same love, thinking the same way, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, harmony. Now, we know harmony in music when we hear it, right? And we mostly know harmony in music by when we don't hear it. When we hear somebody that's off key, when we hear somebody that, that can't sing. We know harmony when, when we're clapping to a song and someone claps on the wrong beat. Right, in relationships, harmony does not mean that everybody sings the same note. But it means that their voices work together, that their skills, their gifts, their talents work together. That harmony means that all of us are playing from a different perspective, playing in a different note, but yet we are appreciating and working as one together, knowing that we need the other person. See, one of the things that keeps us from experiencing great relationships is we just don't appreciate what the other person brings to the table. Right, have you ever thought this? You know, and you folded your arms, you just thought, I just, if only everybody thought the way I did. If only everybody valued time the way that I do. If only any, everybody valued, just fill in the blank, the way that you do. But do you know what would happen if, if that happened in your life? It would be really, really boring. No, harmony is when you, you come together as one, that you are working together in one purpose. And so this is really the goal of every church, to work in harmony, appreciating the other person, appreciating the other person's gifts. This is the goal of, of every community, of every friendship. This is the goal of every marriage, to be one. Yet, when the world around us, when the culture around us looks at Christians, what do they see? They just see a whole bunch of people backstabbing each other, not appreciating people who, who, who maybe uh, look at the world differently than them, or, or they look at Christian community and they go, man, like you guys are just mean to each other. I mean, almost every single week I meet somebody who says, you know what, like I don't go to church because of how mean people are to each other at church. Working is one. This is why, this is why, this is incredibly important if you're dating, this verse right here, when Paul says in verse two, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse two, if you are a dating couple or thinking about dating and one day getting married, verse two is one that you need to like plaster all over your wall and get tattooed on your arm. Here's why. Here's what will happen with dating. Well, you know what, like he's kind of into Jesus. He said he was kind of open to it. Yeah, we, you know, we don't really have the same goals, but like, he completes me. <sighs> you know, like there, I mean, yeah, there's things that she does that really drive me nuts, but oh man, you know, when I think about her, man, she's, she's hot, yeah. Do you know, here's what happens so many times when I sit down with a couple who, who is, you know, meets with me and they say, you know, Josh, we're thinking about getting divorced, you know what they'll say? We don't have the same goals. We're not moving as one. We don't have the same purpose. And, and this is really easy because here's what'll happen. We'll start to say, well, yeah, but you know, my spouse isn't helping me to reach my goals. And that's the scar there. And so Paul says in relationships, great relationships have harmony. They work as one, intent on one purpose, now, what keeps us from that? 
It's almost like Paul read our minds when, when we ask that question. What keeps us from that? Look at verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, I need to say this. First off, ambition is not a sin. Ambition is not a sin. The desire to do good, the desire to, to be productive, the desire to be effective in life, the desire to use our gifts is not bad. It's not a sin, but what it, that's why Paul puts the word selfish in front of it. See, selfish ambition and ambition are not the same things, but selfish ambition actually destroys unity and destroys harmony. Because selfish ambition is when we elevate ourselves above the other person. Selfish ambition is when we say, what I want, what I desire, and what I need is more important than what you want, what you desire, and what you need. Now, I want you to think for a moment about any relational scar that you have caused or that you carry. And my guess is somebody placed themselves above the other person. Somebody decided, you have a relational scar from your childhood? Maybe it's because one of your parents decided, you know what, my career is more important than you. What I want is more important than you. Most of the disagreements we have in our life are what? We get frustrated when people don't elevate what we want. We get frustrated when people elevate what they want above what we want. That's selfish ambition. I mean, think about the last argument you had. There's a good chance, if you're married, that you had an argument because your spouse was putting themselves first. Right, did you, I mean, and we'll do all kinds of things in this moment, right? We bang pots and cupboards. Ever do that? If I bang loud enough, I bet you, I bet you he'll know. I bet you he'll know. He just sits there and he's like, if I turn this up loud enough, I bet you she'll know. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or we'll say, well, you know what? But what I've, you know, what I've wanted in life, I've put that off for too long, so now it's my turn. See, this comes from conceit. Conceit is when we elevate our view of ourselves above other people. This is when we'll say things like, well, I deserve this. I deserve this. You know, I had a long week. I deserve this. I deserve, to, I deserve that extra drink. I deserve that extra dessert. I deserve to spend money on myself. I deserve this. You know, this will come from a scar that says, well, if I don't look out for myself, then who's going to look out for me? I mean, those people, Josh, they're just getting in my way. They're just, they're just getting in my way. They aren't supporting my goals. In fact, they are keeping me from my goals. See, in our culture right now, we have such an elevated view of ourselves. See, here's a couple other ways this shows up. Conceit and selfish ambition. When we place our goals above everybody else's goals. Here's one that, that I do. This is how my selfish ambition and conceit shows up. I bulldoze relationships. I just overpower the relationship and just say, you know, I will bulldoze through this. Sometimes we'll try to look successful to other people. Do you ever try to look successful? Well, they think I'm successful. Because then, then maybe they'll think I'm better than they are. But really what that is, is just a way for us to stop feeling worse. Or did you ever think, you know, I don't need to respond to that person. I don't need to respond to that email. 
I don't, I don't need to say anything to them. They're, I would never say that they're beneath me, but like they're kind of a level down. They at least won't help me to level up. Ignoring people. Here's one way that this shows up that we don't talk a lot about. But one of the ways selfish ambition and elevating our views and saying my needs shows up is how we interact with sexuality and porn. How we treat the opposite sex. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but, and he gives us a second word, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And so when you think about relationships, when we know great relationships, one, have harmony, and the second thing they have is humility. That in humility, we consider others more important than ourselves. See, the word consider means to think about something, to ponder something before deciding, right? It's that moment where we step back and go, you know what, let me, let me decide, let me think through this if I wanna step into this. And so when we step back to consider somebody, what are we doing? We're considering their needs, we're considering their goals, we're considering their desires. See, humility, serving others, considering others, protects us in relationships from selfish ambition and conceit. Now, but here's one of our battles. But Josh, the other person's not doing this. And in fact, I can't wait to share this message with them. Like they're, they're gonna hear about it and you know, and I'm gonna send them clips and we're gonna talk about it and be like, hey, and on the way home today, we're gonna get in the car and I'm gonna look at my husband and be like, were you listening? Because he was talking to you. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting is that when Paul talks about relationships, Paul never gives us an out. Throughout the New Testament, when Paul talks about how we as followers of Jesus are to exist and respond in relationships, he never gives us a way out. He doesn't say, well, you know what? You can have humility in relationships as long as the other person equals your humility. You should, you know, you can have the same level of selfish ambition as the other person. Just match them. Conceit for conceit. No, Paul said again and again and again in relationships, Paul says, you as a follower of Jesus, go first. You, when you feel the Holy Spirit convict you, go first. You deal hope by stepping in with humility. See, in humility is not something we stumble into. Humility is a daily, minute-by-minute choice to make the other person to think of others as more important than yourself. I love what one author said, where he said, love takes the low place. Love takes the low place. See, in relationships, we're good at taking the low place at the beginning to get what we want. But then once we start to get comfortable, we go, you know what? Like, I've taken the low place enough. You know, if there was one verse that described how I treated our marriage for the first probably seven to eight years, it would be verse three. The first seven to eight years of our marriage were, about, were all about my goals. We're all about my selfish ambition. And, and I remember as Katie and I started to step into a healthier place, as I started to deal with some of the sin kind of wrapped around that, I had to deal with the reality that I didn't respond in my marriage with 
harmony and humility. I was really good at, at elevating myself. But I had to deal with that there's a, that one, that's a sin, and Paul leads us into how we move forward. Look at verse four. He says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others, which is just another way of saying what he's already said, look out for the other person, which is the last thing that goes into a great relationship, and that is helpfulness. Helpfulness is looking out for the other person's interests, helping them, helping them to reach their goals, helping them to reach what God has called them to do. Now, here's what, here's what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but if I just help the other person, they're just going to take it. They're just going to take it. If I'm humble, they're just going to take it. You know, they're, they're not singing on my key, Josh. Like, I'm trying to be harmonious in relationships, but all they're doing is just singing off key. They're clapping on the offbeat. Which is exactly what we do in our relationship with God. And look what Paul says in verse five. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul says, now, now if you're not a follower of Jesus, that this is, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then Paul says you and I are to adopt the attitude of Jesus. And the attitude of Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us first. Jesus didn't say, well, you know what? I'm just gonna wait for them to come and find me. Like, I'll, I'll wait. I know they need me. I know that I could really help them out but I'll, just, I'll wait for them to really just show me their need. And then, then I'll go to them. No, Jesus comes to us first. And what does he do? He humbles himself to the point of death. Now, this is incredibly important because humility will often feel like death. Humility in relationships will feel like death. Because we're killing our pride, we're having to, we're having to sacrifice maybe things that we want. He humbles himself. He comes to us. For this reason, look at verse 9, God highly exalts him. See, what makes a great relationship, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, a great relationship has harmony, humility, and helpfulness. All the things of Jesus' attitude, harmony, humility, and helpfulness. But how do you move towards that through your relational scar? I remember when we left Wisconsin and I was incredibly hurt when we left. In between moving from Wisconsin to, 
to Tucson, we went and spent that summer in Kansas City with Katie's family. And I remember our first weekend um, in Kansas City, I didn't have a new job yet. We didn't have a new plan of what we were doing yet. And I, I was just exhausted. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was hurt. And I couldn't really verbalize any of that. And I remember um, I, I didn't want to get up and go to church because church was exactly where I got hurt. I got betrayed at church. I got betrayed by other pastors. And I remember uh, I'm laying in bed. It was our first Sunday there. And, and Katie's laying next to me and she's like, so what are we doing today? I'm like, nothing, I'm just laying in bed. She goes, well, today's Sunday. And I, and I said, cool. She said, so are we going to church? I said, no, we're not going to church. Like, I had no desire whatsoever to go to church. She gets out of bed and she goes, cool. So get out of bed because we're going to church. And then she walks out of the room. I remember I went, I, like, and I was angry. I mean, I sat there and I, my arms folded and I, I was just mad. I was mad at God, I was mad at them. And, and I remember that over the next several weeks that, that God uh, just started to soften my heart through some different conversations. One of the things that, that we did was, Katie said, you know what, I feel like we need to start praying for God's blessing on that church and those pastors. And here was my response. It was so godly. And I said, awesome, you can do that. And so she did. And every night, we prayed for Chip and Tom. Every night. We said, God bless Chip and Tom. God bless that church, move in that church. And you know what slowly happened? My heart started to soften. Now here's the thing, as we enter into great relationships from our scars, is there are wounds that we will continually have to wrestle with. Wounds don't go away like that. Scars go with us in our story. They don't just disappear. See, we have this idea that if I forgive somebody, then I'm, I'm just gonna forget about it. Or we'll think, well, if I forgive that person, then I have to reconcile with that person and we have to be best friends again. I have to learn back in my life. But no, sometimes because of the wound, especially as it relates to abuse or other wounds, there are relationships that we do need to have some boundaries around and some wisdom around. But here's the other thing too that, that came up this past week in our teaching team that I think is really, really important with this is that sometimes we think we're not past a relationship or we haven't forgiven that person because we haven't grieved that relationship and that loss. That sometimes we think, well, you know what, I should be past this by now, but the reality is we have forgiven that person. You just haven't grieved what you lost in that moment and in that relationship. You haven't grieved that you can't ever get that back. You haven't grieved that that person has walked out. You can't grieve. You haven't grieved yet what that person said. And so there's a difference between grief and loss and forgiveness. And some of us have, have forgiven, but yet we have not taken our grief and loss to Jesus and said, Jesus, help me. And it took me years to really wrap my mind around what I lost in that relational wound. 
and what I had to grieve and how Jesus met me in that. You see, when we take on the attitude of Jesus, we are able to enter into relationships and experience harmony, humility, and helpfulness. Why? Because we know we have been forgiven and given grace by Jesus. We are able to extend grace to the other person. Even when we wanna sit there with our arms folded and say, that's fine, you can pray for that person. But we are able to enter in with the attitude of Jesus. And so here's what I wanna ask you to do. Because I know for many of us, relationships, they're, 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 a, they're just a field of landmines. But I wanna ask you to think about the relationships that are closest to you. What's the, what's the word on this list that you need to apply to those relationships? Now here's my hunch. If you think about your closest relationships, whether that's at school, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, you know exactly which one of these words you need to apply. And it's probably gonna be hard. But what is God inviting you into? Harmony, humility, and helpfulness. So here's how I want to end. I want to end a little bit differently than maybe we were planning on. But we were going to sing a song together, but I want us to, I want to have, I want to ask the band to just sing it over us. Because I, I think one of the things we need to be reminded of as we step into relationships with the attitude of Jesus is we need to be reminded that Jesus has already gone before us. And so as we close and as we think through, okay, what is it that God is asking me to step into? And, and it's probably some discomfort as we think about having harmony in relationships. Having harmony with people who don't clap on the same beat as you. That maybe you need to clap on their beat. But you're a perfectionist and you're thinking, no, I, they need to clap on my beat. But harmony might mean you step into theirs. Why? Because you have humility. Having the same attitude of Jesus who humbled himself and came to you. Instead of waiting for the other person to come to you, you say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to them. And having helpfulness in your heart, elevating their interests over yours. So I want to ask you just right now to just take a moment to think, God, what is that one relationship? What is it that you are asking me to step into? I want to have the band just sing this song that Christ is all around us. You're welcome to sing along if you want, but I just want to invite you to just stay uh, and just take this moment to just process through this, and then we'll close together.